The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. When we talk about the West in the Civil War, the Western theater, everyone knows we mean Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, all the way out to the the Mississippi River. And then beyond the West, you've got the Trans-Mississippi. But what about the real West, the Great West? What about California? If you go out to Redlands, California today, you'll find an octagonal building that houses the Lincoln Memorial Shrine. What is a Lincoln Memorial Shrine doing in California? What's in it? Who runs it? Where is it going in the future? Those are the questions we'll be asking today of Don McHugh, curator of the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands, California, on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you on a Friday afternoon in February 2012 from the Brewster Building, third floor, room A307, here on the campus of East Carolina University but not representing the university in the uh, correct opinions and thoughts that I'll be issuing today or uh, speaking for the University of North Carolina system or anyone else and likewise our guest will speak surely only for himself. Legal matters out of the way, it's good to be back. Uh, We've had a, a few missed live show Fridays over the last few weeks. Last week it was because of the New Directions, uh, no, that's not the name, New New Voyages to Carolina, uh, a, uh, a seminar conducted here at East Carolina University uh, discussing the early colonial period, the first arrival of Europeans on the shores of, of uh, what would become the Carolinas. And one of the paper topics dealing with the Tuscarora War, uh, going back to 1713, apparently got picked up uh, by someone uh, googling the topic who lived in Tuscarora, New York, where the 
the members, the descendants of, of that uh, Indian nation had fled after the war in, in the 18th century, uh, just as the Cajuns left uh, Acadia for Louisiana, the Tuscarora left North Carolina and went north. But they still live, uh, some of them, in New York State and maintain their traditions and uh, identity and language. And discovering this uh, th this discussion taking place here, came down, rented a van, and came driving on down. So we had some descendants of original Carolinians here. It was quite an interesting afternoon. It uh, did not touch on the Civil War uh, at all, but uh, I guess I have to take a break from that occasionally. So... Since uh, as department head, it would have been wrong of me not to be there. Uh, I couldn't do the show last week, but I'm back, happy to be back, and uh, we'll be back for uh, a few more weeks. Next week, we'll have uh, Jack Dempsey talking about Michigan in the Civil War. Uh, after that, Jason Phillips talking about the diehard rebels. Adam Aronson in March will talk about the... Uh, We'll be talking about St. Louis in the Civil War, a cultural crossroads of the nation. There's a, a new book just came in. I'm looking over at the shelf to see what uh, what that's about. The Revolution of 1861. Uh, we'll have the author on uh, later in March. That just came out from University of North Carolina Press, hot off the press. So lots of interesting things coming up uh, in the, uh, the month ahead. Um, the uh, uh, what else can we share with you before we get started here? Uh, as always, impedimentsofwar.org tells you who's been on the show, who's coming up on the show. Provides a button if you want to donate via PayPal uh, to civilwartr at aol.com, and that is useful for buying books, which sometimes one has to do if the publishers aren't forthcoming or if. There's no uh, time to order a book. Our last uh, live guest, uh, Professor uh, Andrea Ferrogi, was kind enough to send me a copy of her, her book on the, uh, was, uh, the Minnesota couple in the Civil War, Go If You Think It Your Duty, and that arrived today. We did the interview based on an electronic copy, Breaking New Ground here in Civil War Talk Radio, reading something purely off the screen. And I found it a, a, an acceptable experience, but when the paperback arrived today, crisp and nice illustrations, and you can look at the footnotes or the endnotes in one hand while you read the text in the other, there's still no substitute for the real thing. Uh, I'm still clinging to the old 20th century ways for at least a little while. So if you send me your uh, uh, donations, I'll use them to buy books or for any other purpose I wish. These are not tax-deductible contributions. I, I will stress that every week so no one gets in trouble with the law. Well, it's the first live show of February. It's getting on Lincoln's birthday. Today is, what, February uh, 10th, so we're two days away from the 203rd anniversary of the birth of Abraham Lincoln. Now, we haven't done a Lincoln show in some time. There were some years we, we did bunches of them, but it's about time to return to that subject. I had the opportunity to talk about Lincoln last night on a local radio station, or actually from Raleigh, a big 50,000-watt nighttime uh, AM station. I think it was WPTA, WPTF. My local listeners will be appalled that I don't know. Um, 
but we had a, an interesting time talking with a few callers who wanted to discuss Lincoln, often from a southern perspective. And uh, I will be talking again about Lincoln on Monday night at the New Bern Public Library as part of the Let's Talk About It, uh, Making Sense of the Civil War book discussion series. And I'll fill you in on how that goes next week. But today it's Abraham Lincoln, and uh, our guest, Don McHugh, is the curator of one of the most unusual Lincoln-related sites in the United States, the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands, California. Uh, so uh, Don knows the first question, uh, or close to the first question, is going to be, what, what's that building doing out there? Don, are you there? Thank you for having uh, me. Glad, glad to have you on the show. We, uh, uh, you, you and I every year get to do fun things like the essay contest for the Lincoln <laughs> Forum, uh, which you do a, a great job in organizing for high school students around the country or college students. I college say, students, around the thank country. you. It, it's a university level, um, and I have the the privilege. I'm not sure how I earn this every year, but I get to be one of the judges and read uh, another stack of student papers, but. But these are volunteer papers. Uh, but let let me uh, before you and I get off on chatter about the, the good old days uh, mm. as we've known each other for a while. Uh, tell our listeners uh, about your own background. How did you get started in in the Lincoln business? Oh, well, thank you. Um, let me see. Uh, actually, more of a historian. I've always loved American history, and uh, it's interesting. I just had a tour group of uh, young people in our museum this morning, and they asked me something similar, and uh, I was trying to explain what a centennial was, and during the centennial of the American Civil War, I was a young six-year-old, and I remember my parents taking me to the eastern battlefields, and that sparked an interest in that time period, and um, I kind of uh, didn't have a, a career path that led directly to Lincoln's scholarship. I was more interested in American history, and thought I actually would be working uh, for the State Department on American foreign policy. Uh, went to work uh, for a congressman from Nevada, where I grew up, Las Vegas, uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, in 1979. And uh, that transitioned to uh, doing some research work and working as a consultant at the National Archives. And that kind of opened my eyes to the, uh, the archival world. And in 1986, I was uh, hired as the archivist and curator here at the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands, California, and uh, been here ever since. And I've uh, had the pleasure of uh, making your acquaintance and uh, a lot of the other luminaries in the Lincoln field over the past quarter century. Well, that that uh, brings us into the the obvious question, and, and I, I would guess it's probably the most frequent one you get uh, <laughs> at, at Redlands, which is. How did it get there? What? Why is there a Lincoln Museum in in California at all? Yeah, as we phrase it, why in the world is there a Lincoln Museum in <laughs> Redlands, California? Lincoln never yep. set foot in the state of California. Redlands didn't even exist in nineteen, excuse me, eighteen sixty one, uh, when Lincoln was inaugurated. So why Redlands? Well, the where, 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 where is Redlands, by the way? Oh, we're a suburb of Los Angeles, about an hour east of Los Angeles. Uh, if your listeners know the Southern California area, it's in the vicinity of San Bernardino Riverside, a part of Southern California that is euphemistically called the Inland Empire uh, region uh, of, um, of Southern California. 
Um, but in answer to your question, uh, our, our story really revolves around the life story of our founder, a gentleman by the name of Robert Watchorn. He was a uh, young man living in Alfreton, England, had to go to work in the coal mines there, uh, born in 1858, uh, was a coal miner at age 12, uh, would earn the equivalent of 27 cents a day, and after eight years of that, decided he'd had enough, emigrated to America, went to work in the coal mines of Pennsylvania, and educated himself at night and became a labor official with the United Mine Workers Union, worked successfully to end child labor in the mines of Pennsylvania, and uh, caught the attention of the governor. In 1890, there was a mine catastrophe in Dunbar, Pennsylvania, that cost the lives of 27 miners. Robert Watchorn attempted to um, organize a rescue expedition. Unfortunately, it was unsuccessful, but um, his health was damaged by the smoke in the mines attempting to rescue these men, and he had to transition out of mine work went into work with the government, eventually with the United States government's Department of Immigration and Naturalization. He uh, was elevated to commissioner at Ellis Island in New York City's harbor in 1905 by President Teddy Roosevelt. was there for four years, and after a falling out with new President William Howard Taft over immigration, believe it or not, the Republicans were arguing about immigration back then, too, uh, had to find a third career and um, became an oil man with the Union Oil Company out here in California. Struck it rich, became quite affluent, uh, decided to move his family to California, first stop Los Angeles, second stop Redlands. Uh, 104 years ago, uh, Redlands was the place for uh, second home snowbirds from the East Coast looking to escape the harsh eastern winters. They uh, would come out here to Redlands, so Watchorn moved his family out here. The second thing he did with his money was to begin to collect, buy whatever he could find about Abraham Lincoln. Watchorn saw in Lincoln a symbol of what we today like to call the American dream, the right to rise and improve yourself. Watchorn's own life had seen parallels, and just as Lincoln went from a coal mine, excuse me, Lincoln went from a log cabin, of course, to the White House, Watchorn went from a coal mine to positions of responsibility in labor, government, and industry. So he began to collect anything he could find, books, artifacts, manuscripts, statuary, and was wondering what to do with his collection. Now, during this time period, the Watchorn family suffered a major tragedy. They lost their only child, Emery Ewart Watchorn. He was a flyer in the First World War, contracted a severe case of pneumonia, recovered, looked like he came back to America healthy, but a year and a half later, in 1921, a relapse set in, and young Emery Ewart Watchorn died at age 25. Devastated by the loss of their only child, they thought the appropriate way to honor young Emory Ewart's memory would be to build a Lincoln Memorial Shrine in his honor in their winter home of Redlands. And that dream became a reality 80 years ago now, in 1932, when Mr. Watchorn dipped into his own pocket to the tune of $60,000 and built the original octagon um, that uh, you recall when you were here. And just in the past uh, 14 years, we uh, completed an expansion project that added uh, two new wings to the east and west of the facility uh, that house all of Mr. Watchorn's collection and the material that we've accumulated in recent years. So our purpose is to be a museum, library, and a research facility dedicated to Abraham Lincoln and the American Civil War, uh, kind of a little-known little Lincoln outpost here on the West Coast. Well, the uh, 
the, the thing with outposts is they get surrounded and uh, cut off from the main body. Uh, so uh, how uh, do you have enough, what, what kind of support do you get? What kind of visitation do you get? Well, our support has uh, grown in recent years, particularly since our 1998 expansion. Um, I, when you say support, I, I immediately think of financial support. Uh, our, our museum is affiliated with the public library for the city of Redlands. And as such, uh, my salary and the salary of our uh, small staff of three is uh, paid for by the city of Redlands. Uh, fortunately, Mr. Watchorn set up a modest endowment uh, to acquire additional material. And then we also have a support organization called the Watchorn Lincoln Memorial Association that uh, raises funds for us. And uh, you, you, you knew I, I wouldn't go too long without uh, pitching our website, uh, www.lincolnshrine.org for any listeners who are interested in our uh, history and funding and our whole organization. Uh, there's background about that on the website. The uh, Absolutely. We'll have to repeat that uh, again before we're done for listeners to go take a look at it and uh, contribute and, and, and to visit. How, how about visitors? How many people come by? We uh, do the, about um, 1,500 to 2,000, depending on the month, per month. Um, hmm. So uh, if, if it's a maximum of about probably twenty thousand a year, between uh, eighteen and twenty thousand a year. Um, that's up a bit from when I first came on board in in nineteen eighty six. Um, uh, I'm ashamed to say sometimes we have uh, lifelong Redlanders who um, come in and say, "I didn't know this was here." So I guess I'm not doing a good enough job getting the word out. Uh, but yet, on the other hand, we'll have uh, Lincoln enthusiasts from around the country who, who, who seek us out deliberately, and um, we've had a full range of scholars out here, from Jim McPherson to uh, Michael Burlingame, doing research. Well, I, I know when uh, the Lincoln Museum of Fort Wayne, Indiana, closed in 2008, there were a fair number of, uh, of Hoosiers who, who stopped by and made that same comment. We didn't even know it was here. And... Uh, I, I had been gone some years by that time, so I won't take all the blame for that. But, <laughs> you should have none of the blame. Uh, but it's hard to say how many. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it is frustrating. I, I, I share your your feeling that often the local people don't know it's in the backyard, just like New Yorkers don't go to the uh, Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty uh, because it's there every day. A lot of people don't always appreciate what what they have right there. So it sounds like you, you have things, uh, a reasonable number of, of folks coming by, interesting things to look at. The, uh, the, the name of your website, AL Sh- or Lincoln Shrine, mm-hmm. uh, again reminds me of our, uh, in, in Indiana, the Lincoln Museum there was initially called the Lincoln Shrine and Museum. I remember finding the, the, the original sign, a big copper uh, sign in the basement uh, with that title. Uh, a shrine suggests, you know, a worshipful place as opposed to a, a, a history analysis place. Uh, that is a challenge, and, and, and you're right. We took a look at that in our um, articles of incorporation. Uh, a shrine is a place of reverence, um, but it can be associated with uh, a religious meaning as well. Um, and in some cases, it causes confusion. Um, but um, we're, we're sticking with it, I guess, just to uh, differentiate us, us from uh, some of the other Lincoln museums that are out there. 
Uh, but it can lead to confusion. We had uh, at least uh, one guest coming in uh, expecting to see uh, Lincoln's body on display there, but uh, had to let them know that that uh, isn't quite our charge. No, that would be sort of a red square Lenin kind of thing. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of charges, is there an admission charge for the museum? There is not, and thank you for bringing that up. Because of our support from the city of Redlands and our support organizations, the Lincoln Memorial Association, um, our cost is always free. We, um, in particular, which helps, like this morning, um, being able to uh, uh, get bus loads of kids in and uh, give them um, a brief little uh, uh, tour of the facility just to give them a little dose of uh, Abraham Lincoln, American Civil War, and the importance of those two topics. Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back. I want to talk about some of the things you have there and how you tell the Lincoln story. Sure. Uh, we're talking today with Don McHugh. He's a curator of the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands, California. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In the hustle and bustle world we live in, we need to be reminded that in all failures and successes, we are the common denominators. The change needs to come from within. Each week, let Daniel Gutierrez and Osmara Vindel help bring you the tools you need to manage your success. We'll talk with the movers and shakers of business and personal development and see what makes them tick. The only bilingual radio show, right here, right now. Aki Ia Ora airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Meet best-selling authors, find tantalizing new books, learn the latest healthy living tips, and be inspired to coach yourself to success on Star Style. Be the star you are every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on World Talk Radio. The Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her health hero daughter, Heather Brittany, fire up the airwaves with upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Come play with us. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Don McHugh. He's the curator at the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands, California. Uh, we talked in our first segment uh, about the first question everyone asks, why is there a Lincoln Shrine, uh, Lincoln Memorial of any sort, in California, in Redlands, it's a suburb of Los Angeles. Given that Lincoln never went out there, what what's it doing there? And uh, learned that it was the uh, remarkable uh, personal story 
of the museum's founder, the uh, guiding spirit uh, behind it, uh, Mr. Watchhorn, who established this, and who is the namesake of the the annual dinner. Uh, Don, is that tradition still going on? Certainly is. Jerry, we're uh, gearing up for our 80th rendition of it uh, Sunday night. It's always February 12th, easy to remember. And um, your uh, our mutual colleague on the Lincoln Forum essay contest, Craig L. Simons, will be coming out to speak about Lincoln and his admirals. Oh, very good. Craig is uh, an excellent speaker. He's been on the show a couple times. Uh, I had the, the privilege of being invited to give the, the Watchhorn address uh, a couple of years ago and, and really enjoyed it. You have a uh, a, a great audience of people who know their Lincoln, but are also there for a, a very nice social evening, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. The uh, uh, so you mentioned you you get people, you get scholars uh, like Craig Simons and others to come out uh, not just to give the address, but to do research. Uh, is there any research? What, what kind of research collection does does the museum have? Well, we have an extensive collection of uh, primary and secondary sources related to Lincoln, slavery, Reconstruction, and, of course, the American Civil War. Um, probably the, the most prominent is the manuscript collection. We have about 5,500 uh, letters and manuscripts from the men who fought the Civil War, the civilians on the home front, uh, going all the way up to 39 Abraham Lincoln manuscripts in the holdings. Um, we're, we're quite proud of those, and Mr. Watchhorn uh, started that collection, and we've been acquiring others via uh, purchase or donation through the years. What uh, What is your favorite Lincoln manuscript that you have? I think, it, without a doubt, it would have to be a, a little-known third copy of the famous Conkling letter, uh, the James Conkling uh, letter of uh, August 1863, in which uh, Lincoln, in eight pages, uh, gives his rationale for the Emancipation Proclamation and um, rebuffs um, a demand, if you will, from Conkling, a Republican operative in Illinois, that he rescind the Emancipation for fear that it was going to damage uh, the Republican Party at the polls in Illinois that fall. At the same time, he was writing to Conkling, a Republican operative in New York uh, by the name of Ben Fields got wind of this and asked for a copy of the letter. Uh, Lincoln attached a, uh, a cover note, if you will, to Ben Field, uh, asking him to not let the letter become uh, public until the press uh, has actually printed it. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Field did not do so because it uh, shows up in a New York newspaper before that. Um, but with this little-known third copy is the most eloquent defense, as you well know, of uh, his reasoning behind the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, so in, connected with the attachment letter and this uh, copy, primarily we think in William Stoddard's hand, uh, hand but bearing uh, notations from Abraham Lincoln, uh, we're quite proud of that, uh, the Conkling letter. Well, uh, that is a, a great document to have, the... Lincoln used those those letters, those open letters, where he would write it to be read by someone else at a mm-hmm. meeting, and that was uh, his his way of communicating in the the pre-Twitter era of uh, getting his word out to the public without actually giving a speech. Well, I I'm interested in in the way your collection got started with uh, with Robert Watchman collecting things out of uh, an interest in Lincoln. In the early 20th century, there were a number of wealthy men who set themselves to collecting Lincoln things, and uh, 
uh, again, I keep drawing comparisons to the, the late museum in, in Fort Wayne, which likewise began, well, there it began more with Lewis Warren right. uh, uh, collecting other people's stuff. But eventually he got hold of the collection of Daniel Fish, one of the, the big private collectors of the era. And uh, that became the basis of the library there. So uh, it, it, it seems like it was a different era. When, when people collect today, uh, I guess maybe there are more institutions involved. Uh, uh, well, well, you collect uh, as, as, a, as a curator. Right. Uh, in, in fact, we've, ha- we've had an interesting relationship with uh, some private collectors because um, you know from your, your time at, at, at Fort Wayne that um, sometimes they feel that uh, once it gets into the hands of an institution, it goes off the market forever. Uh, that collectors like to uh, think that uh, upon um, their passing, if their families are not interested in the collection, it will be broken up, and then others will have the opportunity to uh, to purchase. Um, whereas if it goes into an institution, it's off the market forever. At least that's what some collectors have told me. So uh, we have <laughs> sometimes a love-hate relationship with the private collectors. Watchorn was a private collector, and we've had some wonderful donations here as well. Um, but... Uh, um, it, it, it makes for an interesting conversation. It does. I mean, the, the, the obvious counter argument is that if it goes to a an institution, the public can see it. If it goes to a private collector, it's limited to just the friends and family. Uh, although I suppose some private collectors uh, will will lend things. Do you work with some collectors to to show their collections? And I, I'm thinking there's a particularly large. Uh, or was at one time a very large Lincoln collection in the the Los Angeles era air area, uh, the Taper uh, collection. Did you ever work with with, uh, with Louise Taper? Yes, Louise is a, a member of our uh, support organization, the Watchorn Lincoln Memorial Association, and has uh, actually this this past fall uh, donated uh, a variety of books and and some small statuary uh, of Lincoln to us. Uh, but the majority of her wonderful collection, of course, um, ended up in, in Springfield um, at the big shop down the street, as we like to call them. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's tough sometimes to compete with uh, our friends in, in Springfield. Um, but uh, uh, Louise has been out a couple of times at times, and uh, is a good supporter. Well, that's, I think most collectors do tend to have uh, you know the f- same fundamental interest in history that we all share, so that helps them. Uh, want to to bring their collections into the public eye, and they can lend them or uh, otherwise uh, be helpful with with institutions. It, it, it's not all like you said; it's a love hate situation, right? So well, more on the love because we sh- we share the passion. Um, Jack L. Smith from uh, Indiana loaned his collection of uh, lithographs to us a few years back for a special exhibit. We have done a couple of special exhibits from collectors. Um, Although in recent years we've been uh, focusing, it's been one commemoration after another, our 75th anniversary in 2007, the Lincoln Bicentennial in 2009, and now, of course, we're uh, following the Civil War sesquicentennial uh, year by year, uh, focusing this year, of course, on 1862. Uh, But when the war is over in uh, 2015, we might uh, entertain some uh, special collector exhibits as well. Now, the the sesquicentennial uh, certainly gets a lot of press. There are events here. The Battle of New Bern, just down the road from where I'm sitting, uh, will took place in March of 1862. So they're getting ready to make 
some fuss about that. And what I'm curious about is in, in California where where not a whole lot happened in the 1860s uh, related to the war, at least not compared to Virginia or Tennessee. How d- Does the public know that there's a sesquicentennial on? Uh, the, the, the Civil War roundtables, the history enthusiasts, I think they're quite aware of it. Uh, the general public, probably not so much. Um, it, it, is, it can be a challenge sometimes, uh, even emphasizing that California did have a small, but we think an important role, particularly with the gold fields out here uh, in, in, in the Civil War. Uh, so it, it is a challenge. Um, we had a, a special loan collection a few years back on the uh, so-called California 500 of uh, California soldiers who actually fought in the 2nd Massachusetts uh, Cavalry Regiment in the war. Um, so there, there are some who know of California's role, but um, the vast majority of folk, I'd have to say no. Hmm. I mean, that, that it, certainly the, the opinions of the war differ regionally. Uh, as, as anyone knows, if they've traveled you know, any distance, you find out things are different. I was... Uh, certainly surprised a little bit, I think, when I came here to North Carolina to realize how much I had a northern viewpoint that I hadn't really uh, uh, recognized growing up in Michigan and then teaching and working in Indiana. Uh, I, I was, I, I probably told the story to the, the last show, but when I was driving down towards uh, New Bern where that battle took place a few weeks ago, I saw the local. Uh, Heritage Group had put up a sign, and, and it, it was a very good uh, uh, graphic sign showing how the battle took place and who went where. And when it got to the part where the 26th North Carolina broke and ran, it said, "Here is where the battle was lost." <laughs> and you know, I paused as I read that. I thought, "No, that's where the battle was won." Um, that that uh, uh, you have a different view here, but in it, it, I'd rather be. I, Working in a place where I'm constantly challenged, or in a place where I'm constantly affirmed, than in a place where I'm constantly telling people, "Hey, there was a big war." Exactly. Uh, it, it must be frustrating sometimes. Well, it's interesting what you just had to say about the uh, Southern perspective. Uh, I've spoken to uh, several Civil War roundtable groups, and actually uh, spoke at the National Convention of the United Daughters of the Confederacy, and um, initial. A uh, different reaction when I'm introduced as a, the Lincoln Shrine curator. Um, we like to think of ourselves as kind of a, a big tent in that all who are interested in the Civil War are welcome to uh, come in and um, you know, give their viewpoints. And uh, as you well know from North Carolina, Carolina there are um, some unreconstructed rebels out there. Um, I spoke uh, before Sons of Confederates Veterans Group in Los Angeles. And uh, during this was during our fundraising efforts uh, a decade or so back for the expansion. And I said, well, if you, are, you know, can't support us financially, uh, we'd be glad to uh, you know, give uh, some of your Confederate artifacts, perhaps a battle flag or uh, uniform, anything like that. Uh, we'd be glad to give it a good home because Mr. Watchorn, our founder, wanted to emphasize that the museum was to be um, not just about Abraham Lincoln but about the Civil War both north and south. Uh, so that we can like to consider ourselves that we're presenting um, you know, both aspects of that story. And this uh, gentleman uh, wearing a very uh, long beard and dressed in a full Confederate uniform uh, got up and said, uh, the idea of our sacred Southern artifacts 
being housed in your institution will be akin to Polish war medals being placed in an Adolf Hitler museum. Uh, so at that point, I started to look around for the exit, but the um, calmer voices wow. prevailed. And uh, uh, the, the gentleman who hosted me said that uh, there's a kind of a dichotomy within the SCV among uh, those who think secession was a good idea and those who were primarily interested in honoring the heroism of their ancestors. Uh, but uh, as you well know from your neck of the woods there, um, the passions are, are, are still high in some quarters. Yeah, that, that's quite a story. That, that you're absolutely right about the, the different uh, styles. The last time I spoke to uh, an SCV group, the, the person calling me said, uh, put it just as you did, that there are, there are two different kinds of SCV, and we're the kind that's interested in the, the history, uh, not the politics. Uh, we, you're welcome to come and talk about Abraham Lincoln to us. And, uh, and they were very polite, and they had some excellent barbecue for dinner. So yeah, it was a good... They're good people in, in, in general, but uh, we, we agree to disagree about what the Civil War was all about. Uh, we're usually on the same page when we say it's, it was about secession, uh, but then and the dichotomy comes in as to uh, why secession and was it justified, but uh, that would be a whole other show. True, true. That, that argument goes on uh, endlessly. Uh, a variation of that was the, uh, uh, the, the black Confederate issue, which... Uh. Uh, d does that ever come up? Where, where oh, yes. All, all the time here. Um, and uh, it, we've uh, had some interesting discussions about that. I mean, I, I agree with Jim McPherson and that the idea that there were full regiments bearing arms of, um, of, of black Confederates, um, there's just no evidence to that. However, um, it, there, it is clear that there were uh, quartermasters, teamsters, support organizations for the Confederate Army composed of uh, both enslaved and free men of color. Um, you know, how voluntary that was and whether they had any options, but um, the support organization for the Confederate Army did consist of, of, Af of some African Americans. Do they count as soldiers? Um, uh, the debate goes onward. It, it, it does. The uh, a, a colleague of mine here at, at East Carolina, uh, Ken Wyatt, a filmmaker, just completed a documentary on uh, the black Confederates' uh, myth or reality, and he had interviewed me for it a year or so ago and just stopped by yesterday with uh, a final cut that he showed me on his laptop, and it was, he, he unearthed some really interesting characters here to argue, uh, or argue the, the pro uh, side of that story, and then had some very calm talking heads and tweed jackets arguing the other side. So you can see a class division as well as a political division. Well, we're going to take another short break. We're talking today with Don McHugh. He's the curator of the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands, California. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. We all lead busy lives, and sometimes we think we can't take care of our health. We battle food addictions, time restrictions, and media conflictions when it comes to our health. 
Now, you can tune in to the Dare to Be Healthy Show with host Alia Almoayed. Good health comes to those who dare to take the leap into the amazing world of natural healing. Find out what it's like to look and feel great. And finally, live your life to its maximum potential. Let Alia and her guests show you how. Dare to be Healthy is broadcast live Mondays at 11 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Don McHugh, curator of the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands, California. Redlands is a suburb of Los Angeles, and the Lincoln Memorial Shrine is a museum, uh, a, uh, a research center, uh, a place where uh, Lincoln artifacts can be viewed, manuscripts can be studied, uh, located uh, thousands of miles west of any place Abraham Lincoln ever visited. But uh, as we learned in our first segment, uh, there by the act of a, a benefactor, Robert Watchorn, who decided to uh, show his, his regard for Lincoln, uh, having shared a similar a uh, self-made man kind of career. Uh, he wanted to uh, collect Lincoln things and then have a place to put them. And the museum uh, thrives today. Uh, it will feature its, uh, I've forgotten the number, 80th, uh, 80th annual Watchorn Dinner. Is that right, Don? That's correct, Jerry. Uh, 80th coming up on Lincoln's birthday, February 12th, 2012. Uh, Craig Simons will be there, uh, the, the great naval historian of the Civil War and other eras. So a lot going on at uh, Redlands, at the uh, the Lincoln Memorial uh, Shrine. Don, when, when you talk museum talk, uh, people always want to know... Uh, What's what's the coolest thing you've got in the museum? Well, uh, I'd have to say the thing that gets the biggest ooh factor is um, an original oil-on-canvas painting by the American master Norman Rockwell entitled uh, Thoughts on Peace on Lincoln's Birthday, The Long Shadow of Abraham Lincoln. It was done in February of 1945 for the Saturday Evening Post magazine and is a very allegorical piece which features a World War II soldier in the center, and then there are a variety of individuals surrounding the soldier uh, that are symbols of the things that we were fighting for during World War II. The soldier is reading a book, supposed to be Ida Tarbell's biography of Abraham Lincoln, and seeking inspiration from Lincoln's life as the soldier begins to confront the problems of the soon-to-be post-war world. And uh, it's a unique Rockwell piece, and since uh, uh, a lot of boomers and, and uh, their parents are quite familiar with Rockwell, uh, that's the, uh, the one thing that they seem to enjoy the most. It serves as an excellent bridge, we feel, as well, uh, because a lot of people, unfortunately not you or your listeners, um, feel that history is irrelevant. 
but when we get people in there who feel that way, a, a lot of them at least uh, either have parents or grandparents who fought in World War II remember it, so it's relevant to them. And we make that connection between here in the midst of the worst crisis of World War II, people were seeking inspiration from Lincoln's life and times. And now that we're in a new century with our own share of crises to confront, uh, we still feel that you can benefit from a greater understanding of Abraham Lincoln. So this uh, Norman Rockwell piece um, is, is on permanent display in the, in the new western uh, wing of the, of the Lincoln Memorial Shrine. So we're quite proud of that. Well, and, and Rockwell's obviously very accessible, something people can look at and grasp what he's trying to communicate without too much, too much strain. It's pretty clear, and, and that that works for for a broad audience. What about uh, the historical art, or you know, the the, the Civil War era artifacts or yeah, Lincoln uh, era? Mr. Watchorn's uh, original uh, Carrara marble bust of Abraham Lincoln, done by the American sculptor. George Gray Barnard kind of dominates the octagon, and when the building opened up, actually that was the only artifact he had on display. Quickly, about five years later, started putting up some of his uh, manuscripts and things on display. Uh, but the Barnard bust in marble, about twice life-size, uh, showing a clean-shaven uh, Lincoln before he was president, uh, kind of dominates the, the, the main hallway there of the octagon. Um, and, and that forms a a good uh, jump-off point for the children tours in particular uh, to engage them about, uh, you know, do they think Lincoln was ugly without the beard? And that's a good segue into the Grace Bedell growing the beard story. Um, so that's a, a popular item as well from his holdings. And then in recent years, uh, we've been the beneficiary of some wonderful donations of artifacts. Um, you and I and the historians love manuscripts and know how important they are. Uh, but truth be told, it seems the, the younger visitor is more interested in uh, an artifact, um, be it a, a weapon from the Civil War or cufflinks that were worn by Lincoln. So in, in recent years, we've had a, a couple of great Civil War artifacts donated to us. Uh, one is a uh, large um, regimental battle flag from the 126th New York Volunteer Infantry Regiment, uh-huh. um, featuring uh, 34 stars arranged in the so-called Great Star pattern um, that uh, we're quite proud of. The 126th uh, were the so-called uh, cowards of Harper's Ferry who uh, ended up surrendering on Maryland Heights in September of 62, uh, but then after being paroled would have a chance to redeem their honor at Gettysburg, uh, at Ziegler's Grove on uh, July 2nd. Um, shouting, remember Harper's Ferry. Um, so we're very proud of that artifact. And then the uh, second item that was donated in the last couple of years is a uh, Medal of Honor associated with a Civil War soldier, Benjamin Hilliker, uh, who was a drummer with the uh, 6th Wisconsin uh, Regiment. Um, and uh, during the Battle of uh, Vicksburg, put down his uh, drum and uh, decided to single-handedly pick up a rifle and charge the Confederate line an act of either bravery or foolhardiness, depending on your perspective, and uh, didn't make it far before being shot through the jaw, um, grossly disfigured. The officer thought he was going to die, lay him in the shade of the tree. He's not going to make it. But miraculously, Benjamin did survive, and the fellow soldiers of the 6th Wisconsin were so inspired by his bravery that they completed the charge he began and ended up winning the small skirmish as part of the Vicksburg campaign. And then years later, our nation recognized Benjamin for his bravery 
by awarding him our highest military decoration, the Medal of Honor. Uh, and as you know, it's uh, against the law to buy or sell a Medal of Honor. Congress has made it so. So the only way a museum can get one is to have it uh, donated. Uh, so we're very uh, pleased when the Cornishes family of Auburn, California, donated uh, Benjamin's Medal to us uh, five years ago uh, so that young people could learn more about our history. Very, very nice. When uh, Now, for every donation like that, uh, if your museum is like most, you get... Uh, 10 or 20 others where somebody comes to the door or calls you up and says, I've got uh, I've got an original copy of the Gettysburg Address. What kind of things have people brought in that, that maybe didn't make the cut? Uh, <laughs> the Gettysburg Address um, does come in, the parchment copy that they sold at, at Disneyland. and Unfortunately, now we now sell at our gift shop as well because they're so popular among young folk. But uh, years later, someone will think it's the real deal. Uh, we've seen parchment uh, copies of the famous Bixby letter, the Widow Bixby letter, that was so prominent in uh, Saving Private Ryan, among other venues. And uh, when I informed them that the uh, original is, believed, is not believed to be extant, um, they invariably say, well, here it is right here in front of you. Um, this is it. This is this the original. Is so, um, yeah, that's kind of tough. And then, ironically, what, uh, the, the inspiration... Uh, behind expanding the shrine, what really got it started was a gentleman who had uh, uh, what he felt was the original Rosa Bonhoor village blacksmith lithograph that uh, hung in the Peterson house where Lincoln uh, was taken after the assassination uh. to die and uh, wanted that to be put on permanent display. Um, I had to inform him, of course, that no museum wants to put anything really on permanent display. Um, right. And that, uh, and he was also looking for a tax uh, write-off on on the donation. And as you well know, it uh, was uh, it, the tax write-off depends on how solid the provenance is that this is the original. And uh, we really could only trace it back to 1888 as opposed to 1865, um, and it was in rather poor condition as well. Um, so I wasn't able to substantiate that it was the original, uh, but as a result, I had to uh, decline. Uh, putting it on display, but uh, that was the, the inspiration behind, hey, if you uh, don't have enough space, why don't you consider expanding the facility, and, and that's what's got, what got us going. So you never know what's going to happen with a donation. Uh, that, that's true. I got a call yesterday uh, from someone whose great-grandfather had been a surgeon in a, a Tennessee regiment, and he had saddlebags up in the attic that had medicine containers in them, and uh, wanted to know if we wanted them as a donation and, and I get those calls occasionally through the history department and we huh. explain we don't collect things but I put them on the uh, the medical school here has a museum with uh, uh, artifacts Civil War related artifacts and we, I was able to send them over there since I had a medical relationship but uh, it was a nostalgic moment for me because uh, in my museum days that happened all the time that people came and called or brought in uh, all kinds of things. Some of them wonderful, but uh, some of them not so. And then often, as, as you point out, sometimes people just wanting a large uh, sum of money or a large estimate for which they could claim a big write-off. And uh, you can't always supply that if they, they don't have uh, if they don't have the provenance. What about uh, what? What would you like to get for the museum? <sighs> 
This uh, I'll, I'll put that out, this out there. Maybe he's he's listening. Uh, um, Mike Sorensen is the uh, state's foremost collector of um, California military material related to the Civil War. He has an extensive collection of uh, uniforms, artifacts, manuscripts related to the Californians who participated in the uh, Second Massachusetts Cavalry. Uh, there was a contingent, the California Five Hundred. And uh, he's almost cornered the market on this material. But it would be a, uh, a perfect connector between the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, and California to um, be the repository that had some of this uh, material. Uh, there was another small contingent of, uh, of Californians, about 100, uh, that served in the 71st Pennsylvania Infantry Regiment, uh, which was formed by Edward Baker, Lincoln's uh, close friend. Uh, he would be killed in action at Ball's Bluff. In his honor, the 71st PA uh, were called the California Regiment. We've got a wonderful recruitment broadside for Colonel Baker's California Regiment, and we have uh, a couple of other items related to them. But uh, I'd like to, you know, any sort of connection between Lincoln, California, and the Civil War um, that would help further cement our, our standing as the, the California outpost of the Lincoln Civil War story. Uh, have you negotiated with the the collector you mentioned who has the... He's, he's, Mike is not, and again, we, we had his material on display. At, currently, he's not interested in selling. Um, and probably the value of the collection, I'd have to scrimp and save for a few years even to be able to think of uh, affording some of this material. I mean, if he has uh, um, Charles Russell Lowell's uh, cap, for example, or, or hat, uh, among other artifacts. Uh, so you just don't see this stuff on the market every day. Um, so uh, arrangements would have to be made, but, but one can dream, as you well know. Right. Well, you got to think think big. So what is, what is up next for the museum? What are plans for the future? Well, as we say, we're continuing our year-by-year sesquicentennial focus. Uh, our exhibit on 1862 was just unveiled this past Sunday. Um, you know, featuring manuscripts and artifacts about uh, uh, some of the major battles of 1862 and then culminating, of course, in the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. So we'll be following 1863, 64, and 65. Uh, so after the sesquicentennial is over, um, I don't know, maybe that will be the time to um, try to reconnect with the California side of the, of the Civil War story. Um, or... Um, uh, perhaps some mm, special exhibits of loan material again will be uh, be, be the future for us. But uh, uh, I think that interest is still going to be there, uh, as you know from your 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 program here. There's still a lot of interest in that time period. No, I, I, absolutely, and not not by any means limited to places where the war took place. I get emails and uh, contacts from people around the world, uh, not just around the country, who are interested in in the story. Now. So if somebody's in the Los Angeles area, they would uh, certainly your place would be one that you'd want to see. Uh, the Huntington Library occurs to me as another place, uh, certainly for research. Somebody would want to go. Is there any any place else if someone's making a trip out there that? Yeah, the the Drum uh, Barracks in uh, Wilmington, California, which is near Long Beach, uh, was a military outpost uh, started in 1861. Uh, so they have some artifacts related to the uh, California military experience out here. Um, so they're worthwhile. Uh, then in Sacramento, which of course is in Northern California, 
the California Military Museum there has some artifacts related to the Civil War as well. Um, but other than that, those are the, the, the two major ones that I know of. Huntington's got a great collection, but of course uh, not open to the uh, non-professional scholar. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's, it's much more a cloistered sort of research place. Exactly. Well, let's um, repeat, if you would, the, the website uh, yeah, for, but, for uh, listeners. I'd love to. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, www, of course, Lincolnshrine, all one word, dot org. And that'll talk about our special exhibits, um, the few things that we have in our, in our gift shop. We have a souvenir book called The Treasures of the Lincoln Shrine that we put out a couple of years ago. Uh, full color that includes the Norman Rockwell, the George Gray Barnard bust, and um, the Conkling letter, and some of our uh, best treasures, as we call it, that's available on our gift shop, on our website's uh, gift shop. Um, so uh, I commend that to your listeners' attention. Well, that uh, anyone who is going out there, you definitely want to get a chance to see that. Uh, I didn't get to go to the Lincoln Forum this year in uh, Gettysburg, the annual visit, and that's where you and I usually connect annually. Uh, where we get to, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, judge the essays that the Lincoln Forum uh, uh, Student Writing Contest uh, put uh, collects, and that you you organize and, and arrange each year. Uh, so uh, it, it's good to get a chance to chat with you today and get caught up, having uh, you know, having missed the forum, but I hope to be back there next year. Uh, with that. Uh, looking at the gray lowering skies outside and thinking of the time I visited your place and how uh, just, just more, e- even in February it was a nice day, it was a shirt sleeve day and uh, uh, went out here today, Jerry, don't make, make you feel jealous, jealous but it's, oh, about, it's, it's uh, 74, it's, totally blue skies not a, not a cloud in the sky you know, is it cloudy and raw and gray here uh, so uh, listeners if you get a chance uh, if you're in the Los Angeles area or visiting there as a tourist uh, make it a point to see the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands it really is an interesting place architecturally as well as the collection uh, and uh, while you're there I'm sure you'll maybe get a chance to say hello to the curator Don McHugh who's been our guest today Don thanks for being on Civil War my, Talk Radio my pleasure And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Mm -hmm.